Real Goddess, Discovering Your Divine Destiny by Cherie Sandal, Episode 27, Self-Regulation. Real Goddess is the most important thing you can know about in your life. It's the end goal of all we become in this life. A wise man said that in this current day and age, women will be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways and that a large gathering of women will rise up in strong numbers, dividing the wicked from the good. And I'm here to rope you in, sister. I remember when I was little, I was watching a movie. I was probably about six or seven years old. And my family, all all nine of us were spread out in what we call the TV room. Imagine that, watching the TV in the TV room. We were watching a movie called Oliver, which, by the way, it has the scariest part that I've ever witnessed in my life in that movie, where Oliver's dad, I think he hits a wine bottle over his mom's head, and all of a sudden everything goes really weird and and kind of swirly, and she says, is that you, my love? Is that you? And I would freak out, like, well, I only saw it that one time, but it gave me nightmares, just the way that the screen went all weird and swirly, and she still loved him, and even though the dad just hit a a wine bottle over her head, she was still like, is that you, my love? Is that you? Oh, I had such nightmares for about a half a year after that. But my point of telling the story is that I would be laying there, and this happened regularly, that I'd be watching a movie, and pretty soon I would just fall asleep. Just fall asleep in any uncomfortable position I was watching whatever movie we were watching. And then I'd have to slowly drag myself away from there and up to my bedroom and miss saying my prayers and brushing my teeth because I was so tired and just fall into bed. And this happened all the time. And then life went, and as a teenager, I would stay up till two or three at night. Like, that was just a regular occurrence. Well, especially because I wanted to catch um, the the TV, uh, what do they call it, the videos, the, oh, I don't care, Friday Night Live, Friday Night, Saturday Night, um, they were the songs, the hits. Right now, I can't even think of what they were, and I used to listen to it all the time. But it kept me up late because that started at 1.30. And so I would just stay up till 2 or 3 regularly. And then I would get up at 6 or 7. And when I went to college, this was the norm that I would get 4 or 5 hours of sleep at night. And on Saturday I would sleep in. But I never really had a very good sleep relationship. And then I would go to my classes and I would fall asleep regularly. I normally would fall asleep in a class. And it's amazing that I was even able to graduate and do as well as I did because I slept through so many classes. Don't tell my kids that. But then as I got married, it would get to be about 12 o'clock and I got tired. That, that, you know, that sleepy feeling that you get and you're just wanting to go to sleep but you still have to say your prayers and brush your teeth and you can't just crash into bed because you really do have to do these things. And I would usually take a little nap and then I'd wake up and go do these things, brush my teeth, say my prayer, go to bed. And it wasn't for a few years that I finally figured out how to tell when I was tired. 
I would start to get that drowsy feeling. And I was like, oh, wait, I should have already been taking care of this before I was getting tired. I should have already brushed my teeth. I should have already said my prayer. And then when I get tired, then all I have to do is slip into the bed, pull up the sheets, and I'm asleep. It took me how many decades to figure that out? I mean, there could be the argument that my parents perhaps should have helped me regulate myself better. But I believe also that self-regulation can just be a journey that we're on, that we need to figure things out because sleep wasn't the only thing. So I'm talking today about self-regulation and how important it is to us and how, like I said, it may be a lifelong struggle to actually learn to self-regulate because ultimately we do become the goddess when we have mastered this. So self-regulation is actually huge, right? Because we know that commandments are actually made to set you free. So if you can follow the commandments, then you buy yourself freedom. And that is kept through how you're able to regulate yourself to be able to do what you say you're going to do. So I was a really good commit committer to other people and to God, but I was just terrible at keeping my word to myself. So the first point is learning how to keep your word to yourself. And that when you say you're going to do something, you put aside whatever you're doing, or you get in the car and go wherever it was you promised to go to yourself, as if you were trying to meet an obligation with someone else. And when I have finally been able to figure out how to do this for myself, I've been able to find a whole new level of self-mastery that has helped me to accomplish goals that have been taking me a lot of years to try to figure out how to keep. So in keeping promises to yourself, I'll use the example of exercise. We all need exercise, right? So what I would tell myself is, well, if you will just walk 15 minutes from your place of occupation to the car, just make a roundabout way around the neighborhood and just walk 15 minutes to get to the car, then you actually only have 15 more minutes in the day to get your 30 minutes of exercise. Makes sense, right? Because then you've got it. You've got two sets of 15 minutes. Well, I found myself telling myself, well, Okay, so when I did the second set of 15 minutes, let's say I'd go jump on the trampoline for a little while to get that next 15 minutes, then I start to say, well, hey, I'm already jumping on the trampoline. I'll just do another 15 minutes so that I would actually get 45 minutes, which some people would say, that's great. You're tricking yourself into actually getting more exercise. But what I was actually doing was I was not keeping my word to myself. If I told myself I needed 30 minutes of exercise a day at least five times a week, and I then conned myself into thinking that I should actually do 45 minutes because maybe I could just get around whatever justification that I had towards negating that first 15 minutes, then what I was actually doing was not helping my self-regulation. So I found that when I tried to talk myself into the extra 15 minutes, I had to say, no, no. Remember, you told yourself, if you walked from the the place of occupation to your car in a roundabout way, you would get half your exercise done in the day and you're going to keep your word to yourself. You're not going to try to talk yourself into 45 minutes because then my other part of myself tells myself, you're a liar. I'm not going to believe you. 
And the next week when I'm too tired to exercise, then that other side of me says, well, why should I? You're going to make me work 45 minutes for this exercise instead of 30. And then I just give up. And this is the way a lot of things were happening to me is that I'd say, oh, if I could just work for 30 minutes cleaning the garage, if I could just get in those 30 minutes, then it'll be good. And then after the 30 minutes, I'd say, well, let's just pretend like that 30 minutes never happened. And you're starting the 30 minutes again. You know, this trickery that we do to our minds. And I had to tell myself, no, you said you were going to do 30 minutes of cleaning the garage today. And that is all. And don't try to trick yourself into thinking that now you can really start it after 30 minutes has happened. I don't know. Does anyone else do that to yourself? Or is that just a weird game that I figured out? Um, so then another way of, of being true to yourself and to your word is to be okay yourself. If you have a change of plans, um, let's say something wasn't going as planned. And I had to say, oh, I'm not able to do this thing. I'm not able to clean the garage for the 30 minutes. Well, instead of getting frustrated and shameful about myself, I would react to myself in a reasonable way like I would with anybody else. I might say, oh, you can't get to the garage cleaning today. Oh, that's okay. I understand. That's okay. I'm sure you'll get it figured out in your schedule one of these days. So to speak to myself with the same acceptance and understanding that I would to someone else to say, sometimes things change. And if you're a person like me who likes to be committed to something and you make changes on yourself, it feels like you are uh, you are fighting against yourself, that you are um, not true to who you are. And I don't like that feeling. I want to say I am true to myself all the time, which means that if a change needs to be made, by golly, I'm going to do it. But then when I learn that keeping my word to myself also has an allowance of sometimes things don't work, then I can be more kind to myself. So I'm keeping my word to myself with an opening of grace that maybe it won't happen and I can still be okay with myself. And then um, speaking to myself as I would someone who I loved dearly with a huge dose of compassion towards that person. So instead of just saying, oh yeah, you do it every time, you always don't follow through on this commitment to clean the garage like you said you would. No, I wouldn't say that to my beloved children or someone who I love dearly. I would say, oh, man, you must be struggling right now, and that's totally okay. If you never get that garage cleaned, you are totally okay. So treating ourselves as we would someone who we love dearly, which we should love ourselves dearly, is part of keeping your word to yourself, which is part of self-regulation. So the second part of self-regulation is handling your own emotions. So to be emotionally regulated. So this might include anger and sadness management. So figuring out how you're going to handle yourself in an anger position or in a sadness place. Allowing yourself to cry when needed because pers a person who is not self-regulated lets the emotions build until they explode or they implode before they explode or they're overly aggressive in the way that they express themselves which is neither a good way to express yourself 
So um, just being able to have a good cry when you need it is a good way of letting out your emotions so that they don't stack up. Having a good method or an outlet of self-expression helps a person so that they don't need to spew onto other people and so that they can get out whatever energy is keeping them stuck with emotions. You've heard emotions are energy in motion. So if you can have self-expression in an outward way, then you're able to let those go in a way of movement rather than either shaming self or taking out your frustrations on someone else for something that you are not able to do or regulate in yourself. I like how uh, some people talk about how to identify an emotion. Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I generally like to squash my emotions now down and just keep stuffing them. So how do you ad identify an emotion? Here are some questions that you can ask. Is the emotion, in a physical sense, in your body, is it hot or cold? What shape is it? What direction is it moving? Is it fast or slow? And if you can just sit with that emotion for a little while and just let it pass through, you actually find that it really doesn't need a whole lot of attention other than just paying attention to it at all. It's kind of like the toddler who comes and wants you to see the pretty bug and you just keep trying to push them away. But when you just say, uh-huh, let me look at it. Oh, wow, that bug is so cool to you, not to me. But yes, that bug is so cool. Um, you're giving it space and you're honoring it for what it is. So when you're able to just even see your emotions for what they are, then you're able to regulate yourself better because you're letting the emotions pass through you instead of letting them lodge in you. So, and then you're not simply pushing your emotions onto others and having them having to handle your emotions for you. This is taking accountability for your stuff. So if you're able to have a good outlet for your emotions and recognize that emotions are energy in motion, then you can be responsible for them and be able to regulate yourself as the emotions come and go. I mean, emotions are just, just a part of living. They're both good and bad. And if you can allow a good emotion to come in as well, happiness, joy, the various ways that we, ex we uh, experience life, then you're able to have those good things also that help you to be regulated. How about intuitive eating? That's kind of a big term right now, like a popular term right now of intuitive eating. Not eating out of shame or as an escape or trying to reduce your longings or your size or whatever it might be. That intuitive eating is a way of regulating yourself to be able to say, I've had enough or I've not had enough. To some people, self-regulation with eating is huge because it means whether they're going to be able to fit into the dress for their kid's wedding or whether they're going to be satisfied enough with their food and have enough energy to do what they need to do. So it's actually really big in a part of self-regulating. And I can tell you as a testimony myself that when I figured out how to intuitively eat, I figured out how to do chocolate in a way that worked for me instead of crushing that whole bag of chocolate chips and feeling 
awful afterwards. I could say, I'm going to have a handful and I'm going to thoroughly enjoy this handful, as opposed to saying, I'm never going to eat chocolate again. No, I have my good handful and when I'm done, I'm going to say, that was good and I'm going to be done. Now, sometimes I cheat and I stick in a piece of gum afterwards because then it's like you're still eating, but you're not really, but you're getting the flavor. So that's been huge for me to be able to figure out, do I need something? Does my body still need some nourishment? Or how about these Pringles chips that really, truly are empty calories? They don't even feel like they're giving me any kind of sustenance sustenance whatsoever. And I begin to know when I'm eating something like fake potatoes, fake mashed potatoes, and I'm like, this is not doing me good. It's filling my stomach, and I'm not feeling satisfied. Intuitive eating, that's about regulating yourself to be able to know what your body needs for nourishment. Again, that's huge. How about money? Spending money in a way that works for you. That money is the servant, not the master. But you keep it regulated in your best behalf. So money is wonderful and serves you. And it's also understanding that something spent with the correct energy behind it can be the very best investment, even though it may seem like you've spent a lot. So for example, let's say my husband and I have been toying with getting a big toy or a camper for us to go camping because I'm kind of getting tired of the camping out in the middle of nowhere. And don't ask me why, but I have this huge fear of a cow passing by our tent and tripping on one of the tent ropes and falling on us and squishing us. So I have a tendency to protect my children and I sleep on the outside of the tent so that I am the one that the cow would squish and I stay up all night. Why do I do this to myself? I'm sure there's something about self-regulation in that. But my point is that we have thought about spending several thousand dollars, which these toys cost to be able to get just a decent little camper that we can pull behind and not have to worry about going and getting a hotel or about finding uh, the perfect flat tent spot or whatever it might be. And so if I can take that money and say, this is going to be an awesome investment and I'm going to love exactly what this money is going to do for me. Now also let's see the flip side of that. My son went to college for one semester and decided that he didn't like it, and that was several thousand dollars literally down the drain because he failed the classes, or at least didn't pass it enough to get a good um, standing with his credits. So we could say, that was a waste of money. But if you assume that money is your servant, then you're going to say, there was a place for that money to be spent that way and nothing was wasted. Everything was perfectly spent, which means that we spent our money in an actually fairly regulated way. It let us know that maybe right now is not the best time for him to be going to college and let him know kind of what the college experience is going to be like. And it was well-invested money, even though it seems like it wasn't. So to be able to have money regulated in a way where you are the master of it and it serves you and Isn't that an awesome, great feeling? It's like the eating that we talked about and about the exercise that we talked about and that these are the things that serve you because you are regulated. All right, third point. 
that if you can take care of yourself and keep yourself at a zero, then you can have what you need to be able to give because you are regulated. So we're going to explain what keeping at a zero means. So let's say you have a scale from zero to 10 and 10 is where you are just losing it. You may act out on an addiction. You may act out in extreme rage. It's acting out in a way that is undignified and does not serve you in the end. And so there's a scale between zero and 10 and Maurice Harker of Life Changing Services has come up with this scale, this, and he calls it the chemical scale. And when you are at a zero, you are not going to lose your self-regulation. You are in a good place and you can give because you have been filled. And at one, one on the scale, you start to realize that something's a little off. And then at two, you start to consider Hmm, what do I need to do to get myself all right again? At three and four, you get to where you start to have the thoughts of what you're going to do that doesn't work in your best interest. And then five and six, you start to act on that behavior. And seven, eight, nine, ten, you are gone. You're a goner at that point. There's no going back. You're going to act out in a way that does not serve you or those around you. So to be able to even regulate yourself enough to know where you are on that scale is terribly hopeful in being able to know how you're going to show up and how others can expect you to show up as well. So when I had been living at a scale of zero for a while, I met with someone in a group who also knew about the chemical scale. And she said, I just always feel like I am living at a two. I always feel like I'm about ready to start to lose it. And I thought, you know, I remember when that used to be the way that I was too, where you just live. Like if you have a cup that's full of your life, the the two is where it starts to get to the top. And, you know, like probably four would be where it spills over a little bit and starts to splash out. Where can you tell when you're getting close to the top of your cup being full of what you can handle? And I remember that place. And through being able to take care of some of my anxiety and some of my thoughts that have not been serving me, I've been able to keep at a zero, which I guess you could say is a different cup. There's like two cups, the cup of, of overwhelm, like what you can handle. And then the other one is the cup of love. And when that is full, then you have plenty to give. When it spills over, it's a good thing. So being at a zero is the ideal thing. I think that's where the goddess resides. Now, I know that's where the goddess resides is at a zero. So that when emotions come, you're able to handle yourself and that you can make things be twisted in your favor to be able to work for you. So that when something seems bad, it actually isn't. Bad things are, there's always some gem or silver lining to it that's actually a good thing. So self-care is integral. You have to be able to have self-care before you can spill over in a good way. And it's funny because like I might talk to my sister who will say, when I say to her, what what do you do for yourself? Like, how do you recover from just life? How are, how are, you, how are you keeping yourself regulated? What do you like to do for yourself? And she might say, oh, well, I like to um, can food from the garden. 
that makes me feel really productive. And I'll challenge it a little and say, do you really like that? And she's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, my family just loves bottled green beans and I canned 60 bottles last summer and we were so glad to have those 60 bottles. And usually at that point, I'm like, oh, that's nice. But then the questioner, the examiner in my brain still says, wait, I don't think you really like to do that. I don't really think that is self-care. Because oftentimes when we're at the beginning of our self-care journey, we justify things for what they are not really. But what we expect of ourselves, what we think other people expect, for our not being able to not feel guilty if we do the things for ourselves. Did I say that? Was that a double negative? That we will feel guilty if we take care of ourselves. So we do things that look like we're being productive and good, even though they're not really self-care. So to me, self-care is a good massage. Like there is nothing that's going to really be produced out of that good massage except for a happier me. Self-care is kicking back on the deck in a sunset in perfect weather and maybe eating some chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay, that, that, there's nothing productive coming out of that, but I insist on it half of the months of the year because that's only when it's warm enough to do it. So what is your self-care regimen that has no outside expectations? It's actually what you really, really like to do. So maybe here's kind of an example of, again, how to define what that self-care thing is. I used to go and shop at the thrift stores for clothing because I had been raised that way. And my dad would say, you can go in and you can get whatever you want in this store. And we'd walk out of there $125 later, which a couple of decades ago, that seemed like a lot to me. I was like, 125 bucks? I just spent that much on clothes. Oh my goodness, we are just spending money right and left. But now I find, I came to a place in my adulthood where I had to say, do I actually like going to the thrift store or not? Is that self-care or is that a scarcity mindset? And I finally came to the conclusion that I really like finding a good bargain of clothing and also, I really want to take that money that might be spent on clothing and do something else with it, like maybe get a massage. I don't really want to spend $100 on a pair of jeans. I just really don't want to. But I'm okay with spending $10 or $20, and I can get that at um, Walmart or at this thrift store. And I am really good with that. So when I walk into a thr thrift store now, I have this huge badge of self-care gleaming on the front of my shoulder that says, I am here because I want to be and I'm going to find this great shirt and I'm going to leave with a huge smile on my face because this is self-care to me. So again, I'd like you to decide what is self-care and then start doing it because you really owe it to yourself and everyone around you to fill that cup. This also works for time management that works for you. Who says that anything has to be a particular way? Or you know, what expectations or shoulds do you have that it seems like that's the way you should work with time? And who is making that rule and why should you follow it? And you can decide as you figure out how you spend your time if it's really worthy or not. 
Do I show up to church on time because I really care about being on time or am I doing it for a good reason like I love to feel the spirit and listen to the organ as it plays for a few minutes before and so that I am calm and collected as we begin that meeting? Or just, or is my reason because I don't want everyone to see me walk in late. I don't want the extra undue attention. Um, I once heard somebody say, you can get so much done if you can just take commercial bits of time and do those little one to two minute things in your life that you could just fit and get done in those commercial bits of time. And at the time, I loved that. I just grasped onto it and I thought, that's right. I'm going to make use of all my time so productively. And I'll tell you what, that is a great recipe for anxiety and overwhelm to think that you have to be filling every minute with productive things. So how are you going to take care of yourself in the way that you view time? How about learning how to drop what is not serving you? There are actually no rules or qualifications to make you enough. Your absolute value is what it is, no matter what. So go through your days and think about what you really don't need. What is really not serving you? What you could hire someone else to do? What you're going to stop placing so much value on? And I would say that less is more. When you are able to worry less about what you're supposed to do or not and just do what works best for you, then you actually free up more time and energy and loving thoughts towards other people. It seems opposite, but it's totally worked for me to free up myself to only do what actually works for me. That is part of self-regulation is knowing what serves you and what doesn't. So I've decided that I like to take time for quiet, alone times, meditation that helps me to calm myself. And on the other end of the spectrum, to have an outward outlet, something that gets you excited. Like I love to do my volleyball. And sometimes I love to just jump on a bike and take a nice little swift bike ride where nobody is setting the pace, where I can just go at my own pace, slow or fast, whatever that might be, what my energy has enough for. And also part of self-regulation is knowing what you are passionate about. So Maurice Harker of Life Changing Services also introduced something to me called a passion project. This passion project is something that you get really excited about. So this would be not the meditative part of just slowing down and just enjoying life for what it is. This is the other end of the spectrum of what is it that makes you tick? What are you so drawn to that you can't help but do it? So here are a couple of the qualifications for a passion project. First of all, it benefits mankind. Second of all, it's definite and measurable with an end result. Also, you feel inspired from God that it is good. And it uses your talents and your ambitions and your skills. Also, it keeps you up at night because you're so excited about it. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
Also, a passion project pushes your imagination and faith to do more than you think you can. So I'm not saying, this is not like the commercial bits of time. This is actually saying, man, this is the thing that I want and I'm going to make it happen. And then miraculously, you do make it happen. With God's help, of course. And then this one was kind of an interesting qualification to me, but it makes sense. A passion project uses other people to accomplish it because of its breadth. In other words, you can't do it alone. And when you put a passion project out there and other people help you with it, it actually makes it real. It makes it something that you are unapologetic about and that you have more excitement and passion to do because others are on board too. Now, they may not be as excited as you, but they're going to be somewhat invested, especially because of your excitement about it. And maybe they have skills and um, talents and passions for part of it. That is the part where you struggle and they can be the other side of something that you have a hard time um, doing exactly with a passion project. Like maybe it's the computer end of things that someone is really talented with technology. So think about what you could do for a passion project. It may be something that's not very long, or it may be something that would take the rest of your life to accomplish and that you would feel great about. There's no apology in that. Somehow let's talk about the goddess in her self-regulation. Okay, so the goddess is a master of self-regulation. She keeps her word to herself and hence to others. She manages her emotions and can handle the emotions of others with taking it on personally. And she takes care of herself to be able to give. Loving your neighbor as yourself means you take care of what you can, which for you is yourself. You control what is yours yet are there for others in the space that you can for when they need help that is outside your particular control, but something that you can lend. So control is on your side, that you can do something about it. The goddess is a master of everything in her space and time, and will continue to be as that is the perfect existence of godhood. To self-regulate is to have no attachment to time and space, but to be in a flowing rhythm. Anyone who has tackled anxiety realizes that anxiety is a measure of being not self-regulated and not worrying about the judgment of others in what she does or doesn't do shows a measure of self-regulation. Accomplishment and what her offspring chooses to do, what shows up in a marriage, are all the effect of her being able to be at peace with how she is able to define space and time in her life. She understands her absolute value is exactly what it is, that in her mortal existence there is nothing that speaks of particular expectation that makes someone enough. She is timeless yet still can navigate around mortal time because, let's face it, she kind of has to. I love this quote. God is never in a rush and never a moment too late. And she, the goddess, 
or the potential goddess is also learning to never be in a rush and not a moment too late as well. She's accountable for her emotions and allows them in her space as energy and emotion, as living fully, has pushing the extremes of what makes a, a person feel alive. And again, this is the kind of thing that creates that passion project. The goddess lives according to reasonable expectation and immortal existence depends on what God's spirit tells her to know what that is, to know what that reasonable expectation is. She isn't worried about title or resume in a worldly sense. She regulates herself to what is required by God, which may differ much from the world. She is true and unapologetic for the way she presents herself. And that is the goddess, a woman who understands self-regulation so that it doesn't feel like self-regulation at all. She just is. Our ultimate quest in life is to be prepared to meet our makers. I hope you will join me in awakening one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny by sharing this podcast and information with others you think would benefit. And I hope you have a wonderful, self-regulated life.